Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh everyone. Welcome back to Quran 30 for 30. Alhamdulillah rabbil alameen. We are joined uh, once again by the one and only uh, Sheikh Dr. Tahir Wyatt from Philly. Alhamdulillah, the first repeat guest twice on the weekend edition. Alhamdulillah for Quran 30 for 30. Sheikh Tahir. Alhamdulillah, kif haatum. Allah barakikum. Alhamdulillah. It's good to have you This uh, weekend edition will not be an extended one. Inshallah, we're gonna do. A... <laughs> Careful, we, we're gonna we're gonna hold 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 ourselves to it. Then we're, we're gonna go for thirty minutes, thirty for thirty. Inshallah. Inshallah. Thirty for thirty for thirty minutes. There we go. Inshallah. Bismillah. All right, now we got a challenge. Sheikh Abdullah, how you doing? Alhamdulillah, I'm good. Good. Alhamdulillah, I'm very good. Alhamdulillah. Hopefully, the pre-recording where I I just got like a double face palm. Sheikh Abdullah almost fell out of his chair. Maybe we'll get the we'll, we'll get the footage <laughs> we'll get the footage and put it up later without the joke. But um, um, hopefully that wasn't caught on the stream though. But maybe but but I think we did get it. Um, you know. So inshallah, but it's good to have you both back. Alhamdulillah. And a reminder to please download um uh, the Dua a Day book uh, that uh, Dr. Tahar Alhamdulillah led the project on. Now it has. Uh, commentary with it, alhamdulillah, some of the fawa'at, some of the gems, and subhanAllah, it is extremely beneficial. Honestly, before you get into the last 10 nights in particular, because people are thinking about the du'a to make in witr and some of the du'as to keep themselves going in the last 10 nights, some of those small du'as, subhanAllah, that I had not pondered upon those ways, really enjoying the books. So, Zakallah khair, Sheikh Tahar, for that, for that book, for that work. May Allah reward you and everyone who worked on it. Amen. Allahumma ameen. And also download the Quran 30 for 30 uh, companion guide with the Ta'ala. You can go to yaqeeninstitute.org slash Ramadan, find both ebooks there, bidnanahi ta'ala. And let's get started, inshallah ta'ala. Uh, we are now, alhamdulillah, almost halfway through. We are in Juz 14, where you have Surah Hijr and Surah Nahl. Uh, both, once again, um, Mecki surahs that came to the Prophet in the later phase. So you kind of have this portion now of the Quran um, that is later Mecki Quran, one after the other, surahs one after the other, that serve within the same theme of uh, reaffirming the Prophet Sallallahu warning uh, those that are about to lose the Prophet Sallallahu from Mecca after they've been persecuting him, and warning them, of course, of, of a punishment on the Day of Judgment, and then also comforting the believers uh, with the reward that will come to them and the promised victory in this life as well. So I want to go through Surah Al-Nahl. Um, and I think, subhanAllah, there are some verses here to really focus on that have rich sirah backgrounds as well. Just very quickly, verse 4. Uh, now, now the surah actually starts off with them asking the Prophet um, about the Day of Judgment, um, asking when is the hour and to show some signs of the hour. So Allah responds to them in that regard. And then verse 4, subhanAllah, Allah says, That Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala created man out of a mere drop of fluid. And then look, he turned into khasimun mubin, like an open, uh, you know, belligerent, uh, argumentative uh, person. And this, this is referring to, according to many of the ulama, uh, Ubay ibn Khalaf, who was one of the opponents of the Prophet Sallallahu and also distinctly the only man ever killed by the hand of the Prophet ﷺ. The Prophet ﷺ threw a spear his way as he was um, attacking on the day of, of Uhud. So uh, this is referring to him, according to many of the ulama, a man who was just extremely nasty. And think about, you know, what a distinction, right? That that you are the one person killed by the hand of Rahmat and Alameen, a mercy uh, to the worlds. Uh, may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala protect us. So 
this is according to many of them are not referring to him. You know, how could you find yourself in such a state, right? And, and look at what he has become in terms of his belligerent nature. So that is verse four. Uh, verse 41, and I'm kind of just going through these because I want to get to the verse I really want to speak about. Verse 41, uh, A very beautiful verse that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, and as for those who have, who have forsaken their homes for the sake of Allah after much persecution, we certainly shall grant them a good abode in this world. And surely the reward of the hereafter is much greater if only they knew. Like subhanAllah, what an excellent end that awaits them in the hereafter as well. And some of the scholars say that this actually is referring to uh, the first muhajireen, the first that migrated, the first group that migrated to Habasha, to Abyssinia. Because they were forced to leave their homes and, you know, they had suffered at that point all sorts of persecution. And, you know, at the same time, they're coming back and they're finding that things are not the same in Mecca. And now they're, they're you know, on their way again for the preparation for the Hijrah to Medina, which is to come soon after. And so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala promising those muhajirun, those that left everything behind, that not only will they have a great reward in the hereafter, but that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will grant them a good abode in this dunya. And some of the scholars say, this is a bushra, a glad tidings for Medina. SubhanAllah, glad tidings for Medina. And it also ties into what I know uh, both um, Sheikh Abdullah and uh, Dr. Tahar want to talk about uh, tonight, inshallah ta'ala, um, about that idea of, of goodness in this life and the next. So a promise to them that not only will you have the reward for your hijrah, but there's a place that you're going to migrate to in this world that is going to offer you much goodness and much, uh, much comfort. Now, the ayah I really want to talk about, subhanAllah, and we did talk about it last year from a tafsir perspective, but this year, in the words of Sheikh Abdullah, we're doing tafsirah. So uh, this is verse 90. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, إِنَّ اللَّهَ يَأْمُرُ بِالْعَدْلِ وَالْإِحْسَانِ وَإِيْتَاءِ الْقُرْبَى وَيَنْهَا عَنِ الْفَحْشَاءِ وَالْمُنْكَرِ وَالْبَغِي يَعِذُكُمْ لَعَلَّكُمْ تَذَكَّرُونَ Surely Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala enjoins justice, al-adil, wal-ihsan, excellence, and the doing of good, ita'id uh, al-qurba, to those that are closest to you of your kin. And Allah forbids all that is shameful and evil and oppressive. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala admonishes you or exhorts you so that you may be mindful. This is, as Ibn Mas'ud radiallahu ta'ala anhu says, the most comprehensive verse in the Qur'an. This is the most comprehensive verse in the Qur'an. And there's a reason why you will hear it, or rather it is, I'm sorry, the, the, the most firm in establishing justice in the Qur'an and comprehensive in that sense. I mean, so subhanAllah lays the foundation for justice. It lays the foundation for our interaction with Allah and for our interaction with the people as well. And there's a reason why it became, again, um, popular to be repeated on the manabir, on the pulpits on the day of Friday. And I wanted to mention two incidents in regards to this from the seerah. One of them is a chief by the name of Aktham ibn Saifi At-Tamimi. Aktham ibn Saifi At-Tamimi. So Aktham was a chief who had heard about the Prophet ﷺ, and he was a powerful man. And when he heard about the Prophet ﷺ, he was from the outskirts, he wanted to go visit the Prophet ﷺ personally so that he could hear the message himself. Some of his people, they said to him that, you know, it, it might be um, strange for you yourself as the chief to go travel to meet the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam and to listen to him. 
So as a sign of, of nobility and as a sign of, you know, something that's more befitting to your dignity and to your station, they said, why don't you send some emissaries, some ambassadors to go and listen to the Prophet Wasallam, uh, listen to this man, Muhammad Wasallam, who's claiming to be a prophet, and we'll report back to you what we hear. So Aktham sends these two men to the Prophet Wasallam, two emissaries, and they go to him and they say to the Prophet Wasallam, who are you and what are you calling to? Um, and he says that I am Muhammad ibn Abdullah, uh, and I am the servant of Allah and his messenger, sallallahu alayhi wasallam. And then after that, they asked the Prophet sallallahu do you have anything for us to take back to our chief? And the Prophet sallallahu repeated this verse. Okay, so he recited this verse. إِنَّ اللَّهِ يَأْمُرُ بِالْعَدِّ وَالْإِحْسَانِ وَإِتَاءَةِ الْقُرْبَةِ وَيَنْحَانِ الْفَحْشَاءِ وَالْمُنْكَرِ وَالْبَغِيِ يَعِذُكُمْ لَعَلَكُمْ تَذَكَّرُونَ then after he said it, they said to the Prophet ﷺ, and they were seemingly stunned by it, right? The beauty of it. They said to Rasulullah ﷺ, can you repeat it again? And so he repeated it again. And they kept asking the Prophet ﷺ to repeat it until they memorized the verse properly to go back and tell Aktham what they had heard. So they go back to Aktham ibn Saifi at Tamimi, and they, uh, they, they say to him that we met Muhammad ﷺ, and uh, he said, well, what, what did you think about him? What did he say when you asked him? And they recited the verse to him. And Aktham immediately, subhanAllah, he said, this is a man that calls to makarim al-akhlaq. He calls to high morals and he forbids uh, low values. And he said to his people that I embrace his religion and all of us should embrace, our, embrace his religion and not lag behind like those that follow the camp later on. SubhanAllah, let us be from the sabiqun, even though this is later in Islam, let us be from the forerunners that as soon as we hear the message, we embrace the message. So Aktham ibn Saifi actually embraced Islam just on the, the basis of his two emissaries coming back and repeating this verse to him over and over again when they learned it from the Prophet Sallallahu And SubhanAllah, one of my favorite narrations and it, it matches our Ramadan series. So please do remember this. Uh, and one day, inshallah ta'ala, I'll do a proper biography of this great companion. <clears throat> Uthman ibn Mad'un, radiallahu ta'ala anhu. Uthman ibn Mad'un, he says, at the initial stage, I embraced Islam because people around me said that it was the truth. <clears throat> but Islam did not yet take its roots into my heart. And subhanAllah, I'm going to want uh, Sheikh Tahir and Sheikh Abdullah to both comment on this with the experience of having embraced Islam. He's, he's actually talking about the journey of embracing Islam. He said that, you know, I, I embraced it, so it, it matched my intellect. I, I knew it was true, but it didn't really root itself in my heart yet. This is a Sahabi talking. And then he said, then I was with the Prophet ﷺ one day, and all of a sudden, you could tell that the signs of his receiving revelation were apparent to him. And so after some time, when you could see that he was receiving revelation sallallahu alayhi wasallam, the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam said that the messenger of Allah, meaning Jibreel alayhi salam, came to me and this verse was revealed to me <clears throat> and he recited, إِنَّ اللَّهِ يَأْمُرُ بِالْعَدْلِ وَالْإِحْسَانِ وَإِتَاءِ ذِي الْقُرْبَى وَيَنْهَا عَنِ الْفَحْشَاءِ وَالْمُنْكَرِ وَالْبَغِي يَعِذُكُمْ لَعْلَكُمْ تَذَكَّرُونَ He recited the verse and Uthman ibn Mad'un says, that is when Iman was established in my heart. And that's when I truly began to love Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. SubhanAllah, he said, that's when I loved Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. That's when faith settled my heart. And that's when the love of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam settled in my heart when he received this verse. And I was with him when Jibreel Alaihi Wasallam brought this verse to him. SubhanAllah. So it really matches 
And by the way, there will be a whole episode about what it was like to be around Rasulullah when he would receive uh, revelation and to witness that. So this is one of those incidents. He said, that's when I really loved him, alayhi salatu wasalam, and Iman was really firm in my heart, like there is no way this is not uh, divine revelation because of the power of that one uh, verse. Finally, um, just verse 106, uh, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, مَنْ كَفَرَ بِاللَّهِ مِنْ بَعْدِ إِيمَانِهِ إِلَّا مَنْ أُكْرِهَا وَقَلْبُهُ مُطْمَئِنٌ بِالْإِيمَانِ Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, except for those who were forced to engage in uh, fighting, or Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions those who disbelieve in Allah after faith has come to them. And then Allah says, except for those who were forced to utter kufr, forced to utter disbelief, while their hearts were settled with iman. This is referring to Ammar uh, ibn Yasir, anhu, according to many of the scholars. We know that when the family of Yasir was tortured, that Sumayyah anha, Ammar anhu, I'm sorry, Sumayya and Yasir passed away as the first shuhada of Islam. May Allah be pleased with them. And Ammar anhu uttered a statement against the Prophet just to escape persecution. And Allah forgave him and the Prophet forgave him as well. So inshallah ta'ala with that, I will open it up to uh, Sheikh Tahir and then Sheikh Abdullah bin Allah and we can go on. Bismillah. Alhamdulillah. Salatu wassalamu ala rasulillah. So uh, I'm assuming you want you're talking about commenting on that last part, correct? And not delving into... Yes. <laughs> okay. Um, it, I, I would just say, uh, because of the personal nature of uh, the journey to Islam, uh, it's it's very difficult to talk about that, um, especially publicly. But there's no doubt that, um, you know, people accept Islam for different reasons. And... Uh, I mean, even even when you look amongst the companions themselves, they didn't all have the same journey to Islam, um, even though they all wound up being, you know, people of strong faith and the best generation of this ummah. And some people come to Islam uh, emotionally and other people come to Islam intellectually. Uh, that, that's that's just the reality of different people's journeys. But subhanAllah, uh, there is no doubt that a person who stays firm uh, in Islam will by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's leave grow in iman um and and feel uh you know the strength of that iman at times uh much more than they probably had in the past and uh this is i mean this is just the reality of the the increase of iman or the increase and decrease of iman uh that sometimes subhanallah there are things that happen there are realities that hit there are pivotal moments there are you know, Mawasim al-Khair, like Ramadan, like Hajj, you know, that, that really help a, a person um, grow in their faith. And I think that, you know, perhaps the person who has accepted Islam may experience that a little bit differently um, from a person who who was never without faith, um, was never without Islam. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows best. But I mean, uh, and I plan on actually talking a little bit about this later on, but even the Prophet, alayhi um, there were times when his iman increased, um, and, and like in Ramadan, uh, as, as we'll discuss in the day time. So I, I don't, I don't think that that's something that's, um, uh, you know, I, I think that that's something that we all experience, but probably in, in different ways. And Allah knows best. Alhamdulillah. <laughs> You know, alhamdulillah ala ni'mat al-Islam. You know, we praise Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that he's 
blessed us with uh, recognizing the, his oneness in all names and attributes uh, and how he is unique and how he is. There's la mathila lahu. There is nothing that is like him in any shape, form or fashion. And as I mentioned before in a couple of halakats, a couple of gatherings earlier that, uh, you know, subhanAllah, I think I told my masjid this last night or it was a couple of nights ago uh, that I didn't come into Islam because someone was nice to me. Right. Uh, doesn't mean that we should not be nice or it doesn't mean that, you know, using that as a means to call people to the beautiful, beautiful faith, which we all are committed to, inshallah, at the utmost degree. But I came into Islam because of that first pillar, you know, uh, it's because of recognizing that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the creator of the heavens and the earth. And that necessitates something from all of us as creation. I mean, whether we, you know, we know subhanAllah that there is a maker and there is a deity, but voluntary acknowledging that is the universal responsibility for those that Allah has deemed as responsible, spiritually responsible. So when looking at the, the issue of conversion or reversion or whatever you want to call it, I always like to say that, you know, I don't split hairs over convert or revert. Because the revert, if we look at the first pillar of Islam, that was the fitrah and the natural inclination of the self that recognized that there was a maker and a creator. But then you converted in your lifestyle and going to Mecca one time in, in your life and circumambulating around the Kaaba, uh, fasting 30 days as opposed to maybe fasting in Lent or, you know, fasting for health reasons. You know, it's more of a spiritual connection. So that is the quote unquote conversion that one could call it. But. When looking at this conversion of Islam or reversion, we see with the companions, I always like to remind remind myself and you all that subhanAllah, yaqeen in and of itself, in the name of certainty, was there. It's there for people that convert to Islam that were in a you know, disbelieving faith or uh, outlook in life or outlook in regards to God. But that also may fall for those that call themselves Muslim and may fall for you know youth that never really, never really understood what Tawheed really was, never really understood Islamic monotheism and how it is different than other forms of quote unquote monotheism. They never really understood it. It was something that took place in their life, a friend, a friend of the family, reading about a story of the companions and seeing how the universal experience and the universal responsibility was fulfilled by these illustrious people. Therefore, after we say their names, we say Allah said So, you know, the, the whole concept of, of voluntarily acknowledging your creator and, and trying your level best to show the utmost gratitude through the system and blueprint that he has brought through the prophets and lastly, the prophet Muhammad وسلم, that is what will bless someone with a good life. And that's the transition to my verse uh, in the chapter of An-Nahl, chapter number 16, where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in, in the verse number 97, and many of us may have heard this verse and understand this verse, but it's no, firstly no problem with uh, a tikrar, it can be the meaning of tikrar, of repeating uh, this beautiful, beautiful words of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, when he talks about uh, people that sell their life sell the next, the afterlife for this life uh, in regards to swearing by his name for some worldly benefit. He speaks about that in earlier verses, but he concludes this subject matter in, with verse number 97, when he says, 
وهو مؤمن فلنحيينه حياة طيبة ولنجزينهم أجرهم بأحسن ما كانوا يعملون الله سبحانه وتعالى says here Whoever works righteousness, whether male or female, why he is a true believer in monotheism, verily we will give him or her a good life. So let's stop here for a minute. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says it's what they call a conditional sentence. Jumlatun shartiya. So with the conditional sentence, there is a verb that is requested by Allah or there is a verb that is mentioned that is virtuous or not virtuous. And if one does that thing, implements that verb that is mentioned, the reward for that, whether good or bad, will be mentioned after that. Clean your room, you will receive money. Pray, inshallah, you, you know, this will be accepted, right? So the action is clean and pray. So here, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Man min Whoever does a good deed or whoever does good deeds or works righteousness. And salihan here means al-jins, the action of righteousness. Whoever does the action of righteousness and he is a male or female, and here she is a believer. He makes this caveat that there is someone that voluntarily believes in the one that they are doing the actions for. Because in Islam, amalan salihan is the amal that is mukhlisanillah. It is an action that you are doing for the sake of Allah ultimately. So if I hold the door open for someone, that can be an action that I receive reward from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala if my intention is being courteous to one of the creations of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and receiving reward for helping out another person. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala makes that caveat here, then he makes a promise. And in the linguistic form, he uses two forms of surety here. He says, Then verily we will bless them with a good life. But the word life here, you know, in, in, in English, does not do justice to the word hayatun tayyiba. As many scholars have mentioned, many scholars have mentioned that they have said, you know, hayatun tayyiba is Ibn Qayyim, which is hayatul qulub, hayatul qalb, bidhikrillah subhanahu wa ta'ala. It is bringing life to the heart of the remembrance of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and that remembrance is tayyiban. And that is a good remembrance that when the heart is brought life, that is the life that can never be distinguished by Idnillah ta'ala. It is the life of remembering Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, remembering your creator, and trying your best to do the amalan salihan, the good deeds. Other scholars have mentioned it as tana'a, contentment. How many times have we seen people that we may have looked up to in this life from people that may be famous or things of that nature, but we see they have what many people may desire from the tangible items, but on top of it all, they're still emotionally distraught. On top of it all, there is no spiritual uh, uh, rejuvenation. There is no spirituality at all because they may not even believe in a creator. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala here is saying, Hayatun tayyiba, the one that does the good deeds and tries their best to do the amal and salihan, they will be emotionally uh, 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 rejuvenated, emotionally nourished, spiritually nourished, and even physically nourished. And this is something that is important because when we look at the mu'min, the mu'min is the one, it comes from the word iman. That iman, they find a level of security because for lack of better words, it's translated as faith. As the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, he says in a beautiful hadith, uh, where he says, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, عَجَبًا لِأَمْرِ الْمُؤْمِنِ إِنَّ أَمْرَهُ كُلَّهُ لَهُ خَيْرٌ وَلَيْسَ ذَلِكَ إِلَّا لِلْمُؤْمِنِ He says, I am amazed, it is amazing the situation of the mu'min. 
his or her situation, every situation that they may encounter is good. And that is not except for the mu'min. See, he makes that caveat here. So Allah, was he said, this is nothing is not except for the believer. In asabahu, in asabahu, the Prophet said, if anything that was would make him or her happy was to afflict them or it was to happen to them, they are thankful. And they are thankful, and that's better for them. And if something that they did not anticipate was to happen, they're thankful, and that is better for them. How can that be? Because the iman in Allah is iman bi asma'ihi wa sifati. You believe in his names and attributes. And the only way you can firmly believe in the names and attributes is to voluntarily learn about them to know what they mean and the actualization of that in your life, generally as human beings in all of creation, and particularly through your encounters. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala continues on here where he says, So the first portion is hayatun tayyibah, as a lot of scholars mention that it is in this life. He blesses you with contentment in this life. The contentment that when you, after you're done praying, you say, astaghfirullah, astaghfirullah, astaghfirullah. For those of you that come after work and you say, astaghfirullah, praying asr in the masjid, you made the effort to get out of traffic, you go to the masjid, and you feel this sense of tranquility after giving Allah his due right and being proud and happy and feeling at ease when doing that because you voluntarily love Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, and they will, then we will reward them and we shall pay them certainly with a reward in proportion to the best of what they used to do. And that is the paradise. As some scholars mentioned, the hayatun tayyib of the good life is in this life with contentment, with being pleased with what is in front of them and being pleased whatever they encounter with, which, with whatever they encounter and then the reward in the next life. So that contentment in doing actions of khair. And I want to conclude by a beautiful concept that SubhanAllah Ibn Rajah brings in regards to gratitude you know, where Ibn Rajab talks about the concept of gratitude when we look at ibadah. When you thank Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for something, you think of something you've been given, you say, Alhamdulillah. You thank Allah for that. The fact that you thought about that was a blessing. And because you thanked Allah for that, that is a good deed. So you will be rewarded again by thanking him again. And when you thank him again, you will be rewarded for that act of a good deed. So the good deed, you will receive a reward for every good deed you do. And that's the process. That's the process. But when we leave the shukr, or even being more general, when we leave the remembrance of Allah, that is when our tongues will be busy with other than the remembrance of Allah. And our hearts will be busy with other than the remembrance of its creator. And that's where the heart can be in a coma and eventually die and be of the dead hearts. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala protect us from that. And I want to leave us with the statement that Ibn al-Qayyim used to mention in his book, and you find out the scholars do this in the introduction. Uh, he would say, Rahimullah Ta'ala, Asallah, and he say, to make you of those, He said, I ask you, I ask Allah to make you of those that if they were given, they are thankful. And if they were tested, they are patient. And if they were to commit a sin, they seek forgiveness. And he says, and these three, is the sign or the attributes of happiness. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala make us of those that are happy in this life to where we will be with him and the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam fil hawd in the next inshallah.
Allahumma ameen. Zakallah Sheikh Abdullah. I'm going to immediately just ask Sheikh Ta'ar to pick it up from there, inshallah. Tafadah Sheikh Ta'ar. Alhamdulillah. Um, that, that was beautiful. And I, I think that the, the issue of shukr um, is, is critical for us. And bi'idhnillahi ta'ala, uh, we're going to look at one of the things that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uh, instructed the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam to be thankful for. And it, it really is difficult when we're talking about an entire juz of the Quran uh, to pick one ayah or one group of ayah to discuss over others. Because SubhanAllah, I mean, there's so much, um, the, the Quran is so rich. And the speech of Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala uh, is infinitely amazing. And every time we go back, we find something else that we didn't see before, subhanAllah. But since this is the month of Ramadan, the month in which the Quran uh, was revealed, uh, and the month in which we increase in our recitation of the Quran, I think it's good to be reminded of often of the blessing of the Quran itself and how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala frequently reminded the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam of this blessing. Um, this happens uh, several times. The, the reminder of the blessing of the Quran happens several times in this juice, the 14th uh, juice of the Quran. And uh, I'm going to focus on the statement of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in Surah Al-Hijr, uh, which is the 15th chapter in the Quran, in the 87th ayah, when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says to the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, وَلَكَدْ أَتَيْنَاكَ سَبَعًا مِّنَ الْمَثَانِ وَالْقُرْآنَ الْعَظِيمِ We have given you, uh, certainly granted you, the seven oft repeated. Uh, and many times, if you look at the translation, you'll find it says right there, verses, but I'll talk about that in a second. So we have granted you the seven oft repeated and the glorious uh, Quran. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala here, mentions this great favor to the Prophet ﷺ, the specific gift of the seven oft repeated, which uh, the scholars differ over. Does this refer to the seven long surahs of the Quran starting with Baqarah? Or does this refer to Surah Al-Fatiha? And there, either way, yani, we're still talking about the Quran. But the seven oft repeated, uh, even it comes in several ahadith, of the Prophet ﷺ, for example, when he told one of the companions, I'm going to teach you uh, the greatest surah from the Qur'an. Uh, it is Umm al-Qur'an, Surah al-Fatiha, where he is Sab'a al-Mathani. Uh, this is the seven oft repeated that I have been given by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. He, here, and then and then there, that's the specific, which is Sab'a al-Mathani, the seven oft repeated, and we have given you and granted you the glorious Quran, subhanAllah. Uh, some of the scholars mentioned that Allah did not say we revealed to you here or we sent down to you. He said we gave you uh, so that there is the feeling that this is a great blessing and a great gift from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and indeed it is. Uh, immediately after that, immediately after Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa what he gave him, he then says, لَا تُمُدَّنَّ عَيْنَيْكَ إِلَى مَا مَتَّعْنَا بِهِ أَزْوَاجٍ مِنْهُمْ وَلَا تَحْزَنْ عَلَيْهِمْ وَقْفِ جَنَاحَكَ لِلْمُؤْمِنِينَ Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala then says, so don't look at, don't turn your eyes 
longingly, right, towards what we have given uh, some of them to enjoy and do not grieve over them and lower your wing of humility for the believers. Here, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala reminds the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam of this gift of the Qur'an. Then he tells the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, do not long for people's material uh, possessions. Don't allow that to distract you from the bigger picture. Now, interestingly, if we just go back a couple ayahs, right? This is the 87th and 88th ayah we're talking about. If we go back to the 85th ayah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَمَا خَلَقَنَا السَّمَوَاتِ وَالْأَرْضَ وَمَا بَيْنَهُمَا إِلَّا بِالْحَقِّ We have not created the heavens and the earth except in truth. Yeah, meaning except with purpose. We did not create heavens and the earth in vain. وَإِنَّ السَّاعَةَ لَآتِيَةً And the hour surely will come. Yeah, what do we get out of this? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is telling the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam that Put everything into perspective, right? Don't look at the dunya as a measure of success. I think this is very important for every believer. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives the dunya to those whom he loves and to those whom he does not love. He gives them, he gives the dunya to people who are guided in his believing service, and he gives it to those who reject faith. That's that's a, a person's test. But as for the Qur'an, then this is the greatest gift from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The Sab'a al-Mathani, as the Prophet said, those seven oft-repeated, there is nothing that has been revealed in the Torah or the Gospels that resembles Surah Al-Fatiha. So the reality is, is that this is that great gift from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. If you have the Qur'an and you're blessed to recite it, and to know its meanings, and to memorize it, and ponder over it, then that is the gift that makes you truly rich. So don't look to what other people have, because Allah has blessed you with the Quran. And this is for every believer, subhanAllah, that if Allah blesses us to be from the people of the Quran, then there's nothing else that we can or should desire from what other people have. It, it, it is that gift the Quran, that satisfies the cravings of the soul and nourishes the heart. And this directly makes a person increase in generosity. When you feel rich inside, right? When you are content and you feel rich inside, then it makes what you have in your hand a lot less valuable to you and a lot easier for you to be open-handed and generous and give it away. So how does this relate to the month of Ramadan? Because it ties directly into an observation that was made by a very young man at the time, the younger cousin of the Prophet Ibn Abbas, what did he say about the Prophet generosity? He said that the Prophet was the most generous of all people. This was all of the time. This is how he described the Prophet But then he said, But he was at his peak of generosity in the month of Ramadan. He said, 
he was at his peak of generosity in Ramadan when he would meet Jibril, alayhi salam. And Jibril would come to meet him every night for Yudarisuhu al-Qur'an. And they would study the Qur'an. Or the Prophet sallallahu would present the Qur'an to him and study that Qur'an with him. And then uh, Ibn Abbas described the Prophet sallallahu by saying, فَلَا رَسُولُ اللَّهِ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمْ أَجْوَدُ بِالْخَيْرِ مِنَ الْرِيحِ الْمُرْسَلَةِ And so the Prophet was more generous with goodness than a swift wind. Now, subhanAllah, obviously we don't have enough time to go into some of the miraculous aspects of this hadith or or how Ibn Abbas described the Prophet as being more generous than a swift wind. Because, I mean, for a lot of us, maybe we don't make that connection. But but in agricultural societies, like they were when they were living in, living in Medina, they understand the importance of the wind and how the wind, in fact, carries the, the seeds of certain plants uh, to other areas so that they can grow, right? So what's happening actually is that the wind helps these objects that cannot help themselves, subhanAllah. So it's it's like he's describing the Prophet wasallam as this swift wind. And, and notice that he says, al-mursala. So, so the Prophet ﷺ is also quick to do good. And he's doing good for people who otherwise could not do good for themselves. And his good was general. It hit everything, like the wind. The wind is not just in one place. If it's coming, it's going to benefit the society as a whole, if it, in fact, is a beneficial wind and not a wind that is bringing the punishment of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Yani, that being said, what, what I want to pull out of this here is that the Prophet وسلم, increased in generosity in Ramadan, right? It, yes, because of the, the time it, itself and because of the importance of Ramadan, but also because he was studying the Quran with Jibril. So there was an increased feeling of gratitude for the revelation of the Quran and this gift of the Quran. And as Ibn Hajar, Rahimullah Ta'ala said there was also that renewal of a feeling of contentment and internal richness. And richness is one of those things. When you feel rich, it's one of those things that leads to uh, generosity. Uh, that being said, I-, I think that it is important for us, Yani, as a takeaway uh, from these ayat, that we also uh, increase in our gratitude for the Quran. And we can do that in this month. When we talk about gratitude, uh, shukr, right? Shukr has these three pillars, or three essential elements of shukr. One, that we, we recognize it in our hearts. We acknowledge that gift. And so we should be thoughtful in our acknowledgement of the gift of the book of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala as a guidance for mankind. And we should talk about it. We should mention it on our tongues, praising Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and mentioning mentioning the importance of the Quran to other people. This is one of the ways that we show gratitude. Without this, in fact, our gratitude is, is questionable it, 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 and it's definitely deficient. But then there's also shukr with the limbs. And how do we thank Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? Uh, how do we increase in our gratitude for the Quran? We adhere to its commands and its prohibitions. We increase in our study of the Quran, reading and listening to uh, the Quran and reading the tafsir, pondering over the meanings of the Quran. Uh, 
and making the Quran, yani the source of our guidance, making it our, our first resort, not the last resort, right? So it's very important that we, this is one of the major takeaways from this ayah that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala yani, is mentioned this blessing to the Prophet I think that the other takeaway for us is to kind of shift focus, right? Um, perhaps even we have to do a shift in our worldview of how we measure success and that we begin begin to live a, a life that is hereafter centric, a life where we use the uh, worldly gifts that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given us to draw closer to him in which our focus is his pleasure and one which we are not, yani a life in which we are not deluded by the worldly possessions that other people have. And we use this time that we have on earth to grow in our understanding of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's book and to thank him for the final revelation. Jazakallahu khairan, Dr. Tahar, for those beautiful reflections. SubhanAllah, I wish I would have uh, spoke to you before I recorded the Ramadan series. Got some more gems from you on that uh, that hadith about um, the Prophet's generosity in Ramadan. Truly, you know, SubhanAllah, did not think about the context of Medina and what that meant and um, and some of the other gems, the fawa'id we can extract from that. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala allow us to live up to that as well. Amen. May Allah make us people of the Qur'an um, and Amen. allow us to bring this Qur'an into our lives and let it be the spring of our hearts, let it be our source of guidance and our first resort in happiness and in sadness and let it be our our guidebook back to him. Allahumma ameen. Beautiful reflections. Um, inshallah ta'ala, I'm going to remind everyone once again, download the books, uh, the Dua a Day, the Quran 30 for 30 companion guide, and please do support Yaqeen Institute with your generosity in the night ta'ala, um, as well as all the other good efforts that are out there, good projects that are out there. May Allah bless you all and reward you all. Zakhla Khair Sheikh Tahar again. It's great having you. Barakallahu Feekum. And how a lot of people don't realize, you know, the 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 vast number of people who've experienced trauma and that they don't realize that what they personally have experienced could fall under the umbrella of trauma too. You know, I'm a I've been a clinician for a long time. You have been also. Mm -hmm. Reading it is very complicated. It's very, very hard to understand. And so I one day I was driving, I was like, you know, Allah just show me an easy way for us to link psychology and trauma. Mm -hmm. And then I was like, SubhanAllah, like Surah Al-Duha is the perfect example. And it's so easy for people to understand, you know, and it, it really, it hits trauma from a clinical perspective on all different levels. Um, and so we are so happy for people to be able to see that uh, throughout yeah. the series. Yeah.